0: Smarties, today, Dr. Liz Angoff joins us. She is an educational psychologist in private practice, and she joins us today to talk about How to talk to learners about their diagnoses. She has developed books and has a framework around this. She shares how to explain and prepare learners for testing, giving scripts and establishing language around testing and learning profiles. In this conversation, you'll hear how important it is for the learners themselves to use their own language because, spoiler alert, They already have their own narrative about what's going on with them. She shares how assessment and diagnoses can actually be healing and affirmative and how feedback starts before the intake session and how assessment is a discovery process of strengths and what's under construction. She talks about how diagnoses leads to a healthy narrative and gives community to people and how parent processing time is critical for setting kids up for an ongoing conversation about their learning profile with language that they understand and use. Also, Smarties, we extend the conversation with Liz over on Patreon. Patreon is your way of supporting the work and the mission that we do here at Learn Smarter Podcast. And for a $5 a month monthly donation, you get access to this extended conversation with Dr. Liz, where we talk about how educational therapists in particular can use her framework. Also, if you want to uplevel that, for a $10 a month donation, you get access to episodes a Week early because, as you know, Smarties, we're always ahead over here at Learn Smarter Podcast. To sign up for that, go to www.patreon.com/slash Learn Smarter Podcast, and you'll be able to hear our extended conversation with Liz and all the other great conversations that we have had in the past. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast.
1: Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 222 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. And today we're really excited to have Dr. Liz Angoff on the podcast with us. Hi, Liz. Hi. Great to be here. So happy to have you here. Yes. Super excited.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to our audience about a very important topic today. But before we dig into that, we would love to have you introduce yourself to us and our audience and tell us who you are, what you do, and who you do it for.
2: Sure. So I am an educational psychologist. And right now I'm in private practice and primarily focus on neuropsych assessment with kids. Before going into private practice, I was a school psychologist in a large public school district here in California for over a decade. I worked with that school district. And now I kind of get to be on the other side and supporting schools and families kind of with a different lens. Oh, and I also (laughs) support practitioners quite a bit. I have a blog talking about how to talk to kids about their learning differences and developmental differences and kind of how we craft that language to talk to kids directly about testing results in diagnosis.
0: Which is what you're here to chat with us about today.
2: Indeed.
1: I'm so <laughs> excited. Yeah, this is a big topic and important. This is important. It's important work. And I think we all need language around it. This is amazing.
2: <laughs> but the language piece is so interesting that you start with that we need the language around it because when I first got into this, I interviewed hundreds of psychologists i surveyed hundreds of them interviewed a couple dozen just to find out what is the hardest part about talking to kids about their learning differences and above and beyond what language developmentally appropriate language positive language it was all around what's the language we use to do this i understand the principles it should be positive it should be a time when the kids not stressed out we should frame it in their strengths but what do I actually say in the moment was the biggest <laughs> mm. challenge for everybody. So that's been a lot of my focus is trying to figure out, okay, what is the word? Can I give you a quote? And then that way you can kind of riff off of that. <laughs> but like, what are the actual words?
0: We all like language that we can look at and then iterate for ourselves, right?
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: Yeah. So how do you explain what testing is? First of all, to the learners. Let's start at the beginning.
2: Yeah. This work really started because once I got into private practice, parents started to say, okay, well, what do I tell my kid? And can you explain all this now that I understand their diagnosis? Can you tell them? And it was like, okay, well, I guess I could. And I tried it. And the first time a kid ran screaming from my office. So that didn't really go well. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. recommend that experience. The second time I tried it, it was like this life-changing, amazing experience. And so... It's like, okay, well, how do we get consistent? And it turns out that there's like no training about how to actually you know, talk to kids. So I started experimenting, experimenting with the actual feedback session. But then I realized we needed to do some kind of backtracking to actually during assessment to let them know like, hey, we're here to discover something. And at the end, we're going to tell you what we discovered. Mm-hmm. And then even during that, I realized kids were coming in with all kinds of different notions about testing to begin with. So in the service of that feedback session and explaining the diagnosis, I stepped it back even further to before the child comes in and how to prep parents Mm. on how to talk to their kids. So the way that I think about talking to kids about a diagnosis actually starts with this question. love it. How do we prepare kids for testing? And so I guess one of the first tools that I'll put out there is I have a handout on my website that actually says how to talk to kids about assessment, how to talk to kids about their testing. I have a link that gets sent to parents right at their intake session. Mm -hmm. So after we've talked and now you know me, this is how you're going to tell your kid what's about to happen. And so I think you're going to link it, but the website is Mm brainbuildingbook.com. And one of these tools is this parent handout. And so The way that I describe testing is that this is an opportunity to understand how your brain works and to learn about how you learn. We're doing this so that teachers know how to teach you, Mm -hmm. so that we as parents know how to support you, and so that you can advocate for yourself, which means ask for what you need. So this is kind of where those scripts start, and the example that I have here is for a parent to say something like, I've noticed you're working really hard at whatever it is. That's kind of the referral question. (laughs) I notice you've been working really hard at writing. I notice you've been working really hard at school this year, but it seems pretty tough and I'm not sure why. I've been thinking if we knew more about how you learn best, your teachers and I could do a better job teaching you and supporting you. So last week I met with this person and she's going to help us figure out how we can do things differently. And so the handout goes on to explain that we're here to learn about your brain. And I have these questions. Maybe you have some of these questions. We're always fighting because I'm always nagging you about your homework. And I'm actually wondering if maybe that's one of the questions we can ask Dr. Liz is Mm -hmm. how do we get better at homework? Mm -hmm. And so there's some tips in there about just identifying like what are the things that are coming up as challenges that we can both recognize or even, you know, I'm always worried all the time and you keep telling me to get off your back. So like, I don't know why there's such a difference here. And so I thought maybe we could like get Dr. Liz involved and maybe she'll help me figure out how to get off your back. And so the idea is to start the kid thinking, okay, I'm curious too. What do I want to know about what's going to make my life easier so that they're coming into the assessment with that idea that we're here to learn something to figure out how they tick and what we can do differently and what their parents and teachers can do differently. So it's not about, let's figure out what's wrong with you that's making this so hard, Mm -hmm. but let's figure out why there's a disconnect or what we're not understanding. And then we've set assessment up as a discovery process. And this goes the same for anything. And when I talk to educational therapists as well, and I don't know if this is your experience, but when I tell kids about going to work with somebody is like, here's someone who can help you figure out what are the strategies that are going to be most helpful, what's going to work for you. And like, they're really going to be a detective with you. So anything you can share with them about what's working and what's not working is actually going to be really helpful because they are an expert in strategies and you can experiment with them. So setting these interventions and including assessment up this way puts a whole other spin on how the kid comes in as opposed to like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you've seen the same thing in your practice.
0: We absolutely have. And I'm going to reference back to a previous episode that we recorded that we will link in the show notes, which is how to explain educational therapy to your child. I believe it's episode 99. And you'll hear a lot of this kind of conversation about prepping your kid and exploration and learning how to learn and all of those sort of keywords. I love how aligned we are. <laughs> and I also love that you are highlighting the fact that this work begins before the kid steps into the room. And because we say the same thing, we want kids to be prepared for their intake session the first time they meet with us or one of our team members at Maya Therapist, or CAP educational therapy group. We want them to be prepared because we've all been in that situation as early practitioners. You know, when you know better, you do better. But earlier on, sometimes the kids didn't know what they were coming in for. And so it didn't set us up on the right foot that we wanted to be set up on. So I love that fact that you are prepping these kids, ideally, through coaching their parents on how to enter into the space and what the space is for.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, we're just getting on the on-ramp.
0: Like, what's the freeway going to look like?
2: Mm.
1: So what freeways are we going to take? We taking the four hundred five? Might be a little rough, but like we'll get through it. We'll make it to the one on one eventually. So it's so important because by the time that they walk into our office, most of the kids are just so beaten down and don't understand why, and they've been trying so hard. And I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. It's tough. We want to make everything better for everybody.
2: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I feel like one of the things that's been driving the passion that I've had behind this work of talking to kids about what's going on and what their testing results are is that narrative starts so early about what's going on. And if we don't tell them, they're going to create their own narrative mm-hmm. and it's not going to be good right? because their experience is really frustrating it's fascinating. There's actually more research coming out recently, or at least I'm being alerted to it recently that around adults who are getting late stage diagnoses, specifically around ADHD and autism. Mm-hmm. And so in the reaction from adults, the first reaction is incredible relief. relief. Yes. Thank goodness. But the second reaction anger is frustration and anger. Because I lost decades of my life to this narrative that I was dumb or less than, or I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do or whatever, whatever negative stories, because there must be some explanation that's about me. And that was just so critical to realize that these narratives, that these adults, and it was the same in my practice when I started testing adults, that we'd get to a diagnosis like, it turns out you're dyslexic. And they'd be like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I wasn't with them through the anger phase, but seeing all this research come out and realizing that there are just decades where people have been holding on to this negative narrative, even, you know, starting with these really young kids and thinking about how do we start talking to five-year-olds so that we can start supporting them and crafting a narrative that's realistic and positive and Constructive, validating the things that are hard in a way that shows them that we actually are working towards something that's going to be better.
0: There are two celebrities recently, and of course, as soon as Steph sees it or I see it, we text the article to the other person. But there are two people who have come out recently that have talked about adult diagnosis of autism. One is Amy Schumer's husband. Uh huh, for sure. And the second is Chris Rock. And Chris Rock talking about his nonverbal learning disorder was fascinating because of the profession that he chose. Comics see the funny, right? And they can see nuance and things. So I wouldn't be surprised if more people in that like line of work come out about their brain learning differently. And he talks about like these interactions that he had with people for years. And he didn't understand... What was getting misconstrued? And the same with Amy Schumer's husband. Amy Schumer recorded her husband's feedback session. Not supposed to do that. But you hear him just going, oh my goodness. Oh my, like the, you hear that relief. Anyway, we're getting off track, but those are two examples (laughs) that came to mind when talking about adulthood. Yeah, Steph.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I know that even for myself, as I've been on this journey of understanding my own brain and when I struggled as a kid in the narrative I told myself, so I'm sure that's the reason a lot of us are in this line of work, Mm -hmm. right? We probably had somebody in our lives that really, really changed everything. And I had a woman in my life that was basically an ed therapist, didn't know that's what it was. She wasn't called that, but that's basically what she did. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is as a parent, when you are seeing your child struggle and knowing that if you are the identifying parent that had the same scenario, that you're probably going through a journey if your child has been diagnosed about like what your journey was and if you have the same diagnosis. It's got to be really, really intense, I think, and relieving, but also like bringing on more questions. So I think this is a really great way to like, go back to your childhood self and like, think about how you would tell yourself this, Mm -hmm. if you're telling yourself
2: this narrative. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's been so fascinating to me how often we end up kind of incidentally pseudo diagnosing parents through the assessment process with their kids. Mm-hmm. There's a type of assessment called therapeutic assessment, which takes a much more kind of holistic family view. They spend a lot of time. And one of the things that they'll do sometimes with child assessments is actually assess the parents as well. It is a fascinating thing to think about because as parents are trying to understand what's going on with their kid, they're also going through a rewrite of their own history often. It's not always the case, but I've seen it so many times. And when the cards line up the right way, it is so healing. And when we're talking to the child about their diagnosis, using this affirmative language, the parents are hearing it very personally as well. For sure. The other day I had an intake with a parent who who just recently was diagnosed herself. And she said, I needed to do this because I needed to understand myself first before, you know, going through this with my child, because I needed to be able to apologize if indeed the child got this from me Mm. and through our process and thinking about things. It's like, all right, let's talk about, you know, like if this is the diagnosis we're looking for, we're looking for this set of strengths, as well as this set of challenges, these things come together and so all these things that you're talking about that are your child's strengths actually line up with an ADHD profile really well, as much as the challenges that you're talking about. And so if we're going to say that your child, you know, got this from you and it's your fault, then all these like creative, innovative, outside of the box, amazing things like those are your fault too. Um, and you could just see the, the shift because we are not taught as professionals to talk to kids in this way. The history of diagnosis is very much in figuring out what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. So it is not part of our vernacular and it's a huge paradigm shift to take things into like, let's look at the profile in its entirety, instead of just identifying what's wrong, what needs to be fixed. And therefore, this is how we define this diagnosis.
1: I love that.
0: You've shared that the first step is prepping the kids properly, right? What goes on in the testing that can help also prep them for that feedback?
2: Mm -hmm. So this is where the language comes in. So the first step in the way that I think about the feedback process is that feedback starts before the intake session. So before my first session with a kid, we're already getting parents on board with the idea that this is a discovery process. We're learning how to build the child's brain. We're gonna identify their strengths, we're gonna identify what's under construction, what their goals are. And then the child comes in and
1: what's under construction. Sorry. I just love that.
2: This is the metaphor. I did not make this metaphor up. The first episode I ever heard from you guys was actually somebody talking about the construction metaphor as well. Hopefully you know which one that is because it was brilliant. But the the construction metaphor is so important because it embeds that growth mindset language, which is super important for parents as well as the kids that we're trying to figure out what is under construction. And anytime I'm naming the things that are hard, these are the skills that are under construction. We are in a movement process to figure out how we're going to do this. But back to that, what happens when they come in? So I start my assessment sessions by introducing kids to the brain and that it just has a bunch of different parts. And for younger kids... I have just a picture that I'll show them with the different lobes. So we got four different lobes and a cerebellum. And it's just these different parts have different roles. For older kids, I'll actually name them because it's fun to talk about cool science words. And some kids in middle and high school have like started to learn that language. And so they know something. And so what I'm doing here is trying to introduce language to them. Just the idea that your brain has different parts to it because it gets them curious. Oh, we're here to like learn cool things about the brain. And it immediately shifts it from, oh God, they're going to find out something about me, which is the question kids secretly have coming in. This is a doctor's appointment. What are they doing? Something scary is about to happen. So immediately we're just shifting it to, this is where we get to learn about brains. And then I have some plush neurons um, that I use that we get. And even with the older kids, I'll have these out because they're very tactile that we can use just to kind of show that your neurons are always making connections. And you can think of these connections like billions of tiny roads in your brain. And so when you can do something well, or you're really practice at something, it means that the connection is strong and you can think of those as your highways. We're going to talk about your highways. Your neurons actually get fatter. You know, they myelinate, they, they, kinda, they get more connectivity. And so you can think of it as you're going from a one lane road to a two lane thoroughfare to a six lane highway. And then there are things that are going to be challenging. And you kind of think of those parts as under construction. And so we're going to figure out all of those things here. And so I've just introduced a bunch of language and then we practice it. So I say, okay, let's take something you really like to do rock climbing. All right. At the top of this page with the picture on it. And we're going to figure out how do you think your different parts of your brain are involved in rock climbing? This doesn't have to be a hundred percent. We're just kind of playing around with the metaphor and getting them to start talking about, and the thing is anything that we do involves your whole brain. We don't have isolated parts that only do one thing. And so we're showing the kid right away that, okay, there's no part of your brain that's broken. And when you're rock climbing, you have to look at things. You're spatially figuring out where things are. You have to like have a plan in your head. That's your executive function. You have to listen to your partner. There's your language centers. Your muscles are getting coordinated. No matter what they put, we can connect it to all different parts of the brain and kind of how we're using that. And this is very intentional for starting to build that language. And then I get to hear how they describe things. So now I'm writing down the words that they use. Mm. so with this you know rock climbing metaphor now I have a metaphor right like oh well like I have to make a plan like okay well what parts of your brain do you think are are making a plan you know how does that work and so the kid that's coming into mind as I think about the rock climbing one is a kid who was having a ton of difficulty with writing and so thinking about like Looking at the landscape, making a plan, figuring out where you're going to go, obviously, like that metaphor and that language that she's using is going to become so important when we get to what's going on and, you know, what does dysgraphia mean? (laughs) And how are we, what are we going to do about it? I'm going to teach you how to make a plan with writing the same way that you do with rock climbing. So the language that we use to talk to kids, it comes from the kids, We're going to use their words. That's how things are going to make sense. And so I'm going to give them a little bit of language to get us started because the metaphor is really easy. Everybody's been on a road. Most kids have been in a car or on a bus. Yeah. Most kids have been stuck in traffic. I haven't met one who hasn't been stuck in traffic yet. So we can all like use this and riff on it. And then I'm listening to what language they're using so that I can use that language again when we come back to the feedback session and start defining what's going on in words that I know they understand because we've already talked about it. Does that make sense?
0: Love.
1: Yes. Before we go on to the next question, you're talking about Rishi, right?
0: Were you talking about Rishi's episode?
2: Yes, I am. Yeah.
0: Rishi is like our most referenced episode. So it's funny.
2: People love it. Uh
0: Awesome. People love those episodes. I just emailed him and I was like, what else he got? He's like, nothing
2: right now. Nothing. (laughs) I almost reached out to him. You should. You should. Somebody sent me that episode. That's how I heard about you guys the first time. Ah. They're like, you might connect with this. <laughs> so, you should reach out to him. He's super nice. <laughs> That's great. He's sweet
0: as can be. And we're happy to make that introduction if you want. Awesome. I would love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, I love this idea of you using their language back with them. Mm-hmm. I think a challenge that sometimes we have as professionals is when. Learners haven't been a part of that feedback session, and maybe parents don't know how, don't know why. It would be important to share it with them. Are there times when you might not share a diagnosis with the learner? We come from a belief that information is empowering, right? And it reduces that negative narrative. But out of curiosity, are there times where you don't?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I believe that, you know, language is power, and there are a lot of reasons to share a diagnosis, and kids know more than we think. Yes. I am mm. constantly floored by how well kids understand themselves and know what's going on. And it might not come out in the language that we think, but it definitely. It's definitely there. And that's why these conversations and kind of giving them a metaphor to riff on is just so important because it helps us understand what they already know. So I think that's an important piece for families and for teachers to know that the kid already has a narrative. When the data lines up and the diagnosis is really clear and parents are on board, it makes sense to them. Talking to a kid about the diagnosis helps to reframe that narrative and gives them community. It gives them this such important piece of you are not alone. Like all these things you've been talking about, we can actually put them together. All the strengths you've been talking about, all the challenges you've been talking about, we can put them together. They form a pattern. That pattern has a name. And it's so common that you have lots of other people who have the same kind of thing going on. So here's a community. And that piece is so important and so vital to that healthy narrative. But sometimes the cards don't align. We have these diagnostic categories, but they are boxes and people don't fit in the boxes Kids are complicated. And in some circumstances, we might be able to figure out these things that are going on, but they don't fit into a nice, neat category. And so, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate to kind of say like, well, this is, ADHD like enough. So let's call it that to say, obviously we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to do that. So sometimes there just isn't a diagnosis to share. I guess that's what I mean is that sometimes we get to the end of an assessment and it's not a nice, neat package. And so that can make things challenging. Yeah. The other time is when parents are still processing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a number of times when the diagnosis and all this information is just a lot for, for parents to understand. And I think that part of this work has been really getting to be sensitized to where the parents are in their process and respecting that journey. Because if they were surprised in any way by where we got to, they need that time to process to be able to support their child. And kind of forcing the issue is not going to help that parent's. Process. And like we said just a little while ago, sometimes parents are processing their own childhood in this and kind of learning to understand themselves in a new way, which is not easy. It's not. So, the way that I've come to work with this, I have a separate feedback session with parents. And at the end of it, I'll say, you know, I'd really like to, there's some things I'd like to share with, you know, here's how your child's been talking about it. These are some things I'd like to share. Let's talk about what we want to share with your child now. Would you be comfortable with me sharing this diagnosis? And sometimes parents are absolutely on board. They really like how I've been talking about things and and they really want their child to understand. They feel very empowered. Sometimes they're not ready yet. And so my next question is, all right, well, let's talk about what we do want to share with your child. Because we don't have to use these diagnostic terms, but here's what your child already told me. And I want to make sure that they have an answer to their questions. And this is a whole other podcast, but kind of going into how we help kids ask their own assessment questions. Mm -hmm. That's a process that happens throughout the assessment. I'm always looking for those questions. And I tell kids at the beginning, I want to know what your questions are you get to ask them too. And they might not have one right away, but I'm always listening like, like oh, you know, like, like oh, this, this writing thing was really challenging. Like I saw you give up before we even started. Like, do you think this is a good question to ask? Like, why is writing so hard? They'll be like, yeah, I would really like to know that. So we write these questions down as we're going through. And so I'll use those questions as a way to tell parents like, hey, look, Your child asks these questions. Let's talk about some language we can use to answer them. So we have a way to talk about this now to help form your child's narrative because they already have one and it's not very good. This is what they said. I wouldn't tell parents we have a responsibility. I feel a very strong responsibility for helping kids develop that narrative. So one example recently is a family who was really processing their child's autism diagnosis. They were very uncomfortable with talking to the child, as an elementary school child. But the child knew that there were some real battles. We had talked about the battles around homework and how their parents always like did things the wrong way, and they wouldn't listen to them. And of course, the parents are saying like, you know, this child gives up before they even start, and we can't get them to finish. So we talked about big feelings. And the concept of flipping your lid, which comes from Dan Siegel, and the idea that when emotions get really big, it can be hard to self-regulate. And there's this hand model of the brain, and I taught them all the hand model of the brain, where your wrist is your spinal cord, and your thumb across your palm is your limbic system or your emotional system, and then your fingers down over your thumb, frontal lobe, and how when emotions get super big, they can blast your, your frontal lobe up and then you flip your lid. Oh. And it's really hard to create a plan or to really think and problem solve when your frontal lobe isn't connected to your emotions. And so what's happening during homework is that there's this frustration and actually, I think both of you guys are flipping your lid and they love this. And so now we have a metaphor and we have some language to talk about the frustration and the rigidity that was kind of getting in the way of being able to collaborate on homework. And we could start solving the problem so that mom could understand, in this case, it was a conversation with mom, that mom could understand what was frustrating in lid flipping to her child And what that looked like and what was going to be helpful to the child. And the child was saying, when my lid flips, this is what I need to reconnect so that I can problem solve again. And mom could start to predict and listen to, okay, this is where we've been going wrong. So we can still get at the things that are challenging and talk about them in a positive way and give that child agency and advocacy without necessarily naming things. So we've started a family on their path. So does that make sense, kind of how we would approach things, even if we're not ready yet? And then the door's always open to come back to have this conversation when they are ready. Got it. Listen, this is
1: always going to be an ongoing conversation, but it's a good primer.
2: Yeah. The last piece of the model that I use is that we're setting kids up for ongoing conversation. So all these things I've been talking about, I actually developed two workbooks, one for elementary school kids and one for kind of middle school and up. That is where we document all these conversations, where we document the strengths that we're finding, the construction zones that we're finding, the questions that kids are asking. So we have this document that then goes home with them and they can bring to their educational therapist. They can bring to their therapist. They can bring to their teacher to say, here's what I learned about my brain. And then all these adults have that same language to continue the conversations with kids. So whether we landed on a diagnosis and we're now really talking about like, you know, what does ADHD mean? What does dyslexia mean for you? Mm -hmm. You know, have a way to talk about that. Or if we're talking about more general concepts like flipping your lid and big feelings, or if we're just talking about executive functioning. And I will tell you, if you are not sure how to talk to a kid about their diagnosis, executive functioning challenges show up everywhere. So we can always talk about that, including in normal development, when a child has no diagnosis, often we are still talking about the challenges of just growing up. And so we can talk about executive functioning and have that language to talk about the things that are challenging. We can talk about pragmatic language and how language has lots of functions to it. And we can use those terms. And so anything that we write in the book that's going to be the language that all the adults in the child's life can use to continue this conversation. Because no matter how brilliant I am at any kid's feedback session, it's not going to be enough for them to fully understand everything about themselves because learning doesn't work that way.
1: Nice mug, by the way. I have one of those. Oh, <laughs> wait, what <laughs> mug was it?
2: <laughs> Sorry. It's swag from parenting with impact.
0: From Lane and Diane. They never gave me one. I was on their podcast, wasn't I? No, you were having a baby. Oh, I was having a baby. <laughs> you could text them. I don't have their time. Oh, I have their numbers. <laughs> Why don't you text them and say, Rachel just found out that there's a bottle and she's upset.
2: How do I say hi. <laughs> I will.
0: Yeah. I think the big takeaway for me in all of this is the idea of using the language the kids are using and reflecting that language back to them to ensure understanding, to like you said, create community, to create commonality in care between you, the educational therapist, whoever the teacher, whoever else might be the team. And I also
1: want to add it's developmentally appropriate because they're using the words that they know. And that may look differently according to different diagnoses and what's going on. And so I think giving them a space to really own it is so important. I want to ask a question about your books. I want to know, is it something that in your books is a good idea to use if you're just doing the assessment, or is it something that parents or ed therapists could work on with the kids to really understand their own brains with or without testing?
2: Yeah, so the books are developed as a tool for testing because that was the problem that I was trying to solve, (laughs) and like, Mm -hmm. how do we help kids understand this process? However, now there are hundreds of practitioners using them in all kinds of different ways. And I've also started using them just as a standalone intervention for kids who have been assessed elsewhere. So it's a great tool to use throughout the assessment process, but also a lot of people are using it just in one single session as a way to structure the conversation and give it a flow. Starting with just the vocabulary around what are we talking about with the brain, then brainstorming highways with the child. And often, if the parent is there to get their input too on what those highways are. In the younger book, we spend time talking about things the child has already built. Because I found that if we went right to construction zones, kids shut down. They were like, I'm on to you. This is about problems. I'm done. Once we get to middle school, kids are more willing to identify the things that are hard or at least talk about the things that aren't working for them. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not personal, there's still more language around like what's wrong with the world, which is great because a lot of times it is about what's wrong with the world. Mm. (laughs) Now we want to change Mm -hmm. that. But with the younger book, we spend time talking about what we've already built and then what is our next construction project? And that switch was just fundamental when helping kids get on the, what am I working on? train. Mm. And then we talk about what that's called. If there is a diagnosis or a term like executive functioning, pragmatics, big feelings, (laughs) um, we can Mm -hmm. choose any term that we want. That's going to help us all talk about what's going on for the child. And then we talk about the kid's team who's on their construction crew and what their tools are within their toolbox. And so it's just a great way to structure a conversation about what's going on or why you're getting this intervention. And I've heard practitioners using it in one session as therapy. I personally do it over two sessions with kids who come in, like after a school evaluation, they might come in for two sessions with me just to do the book or as kind of an introduction. I don't have a parent version right now. It is under development. And I'm hoping by the time this airs that there will be a parent version, but when I've been working with parents individually to do it, I have a four part handout website. It just says highways, construction zones, terms, and tools. And parents will go to the professional that they're working with, therapist, educational therapist, the person who assessed, and say, Can you just help me fill this out? And then they use that to do the book with their child. So I'm kind of working on the tools to support parents to make sure that it's possible and that they're able to develop that language. But those are some of the ways that people have been using the book in different types of practices. Hmm.
0: Are you able now, Liz, to give the code? Do you know what the code will
2: be? Yes, it will be Learn Smarter 10. Yeah, if you're interested in the books, they're on brainbuildingbook.com, along with a ton of other free tools that are just helpful for having the conversation. And you can get 10% off with Learn Smarter 10, any of the products that are on there. There's also a blog that talks through how to talk to kids about dyslexia, ADHD, autism, anxiety, oppositional behaviors, which is really about reframing those behaviors, and kids with intellectual disability as well. Very cool. Those are all there and have been helpful for our practitioners. A lot of school psychologists are sending those blogs to parents as part of their work so that parents have that as a guide for how to talk to their child at home. Love that.
0: Liz, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to share all this. We have more follow-up questions that we want to discuss with you on Patreon. Patreon is our way of supporting the work that we're doing here on the podcast. So for $5 a month, our listeners can go and listen to these extended conversations. So we will be chatting a little bit more about how your work specifically applies to educational therapy in that conversation. But before we get there, what are the ways that our audience can connect with you?
2: So I am located in Lafayette, California in the Bay Area, and you can see all of my work around child feedback on brainbuildingbook.com and my email address is there in the contact section. And I work with families, obviously, for assessment and do do remote work, especially for consultation or you know how to talk to your kids. If that is helpful to you, I'm able to do therapy intervention remotely for anybody in California. And if it's just about how to use the book or the tools, those are services that I can provide to anybody, anywhere. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Will you... Go ahead and do our signature sign-off, which is have a great week, Smarties.
2: Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. Have a great week.